Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Federal Reserve sticking to the fast lane in its fight against inflation. Its inflation warning continuing to reverberate in global markets. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell struck a hawkish tone during his speech at the Jackson Hole Economic Symposium about a week ago, establishing a clear and consistent message. But can the Fed do differently? And can it give more in terms of its forward guidance credibility from here on out? We get an overview of global inflation expectations for the hikes ahead and the possible consequences for a strong U.S. dollar for companies both here in Asia and in Europe. We're joined by Professor Ilian Mihoff, Dean of INSEAD. Professor Ilian, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Michelle. So Fed Chairman Jerome Powell striking a hawkish tone during his last speech at the Jackson Hole Economic Symposium, warning that the U.S. economy will face some pain in the process. So he's saying that there will have to be some economic pain for businesses and households in order for the Fed to rein in inflation. Some say he's looking as if he's only trying to address the demand side of inflation. And we know that inflation is caused both by demand and supply factors. So could an argument be made that easier money is actually needed at this stage so that companies can increase the supply of goods and services. What do you think? I think no. (laughs) I think that it's in general, the supply side effect on inflation is usually the transitory part. There is a spike in oil prices. There is a spike in uh, food prices. There's supply chain disruption that causes a jump in the price level, but not a permanent inflation. Permanent inflation, which we see today, long-lasting inflation, is due to one and only one thing, and that is that the Fed has put too much money into the economy or has allowed too much money to circulate in the economy. And the only way to stop this at this point is by raising interest rates and reducing money supply. So, unfortunately, I think that uh, Jay Powell, for the first time, I, I would say in the last 18 months, for the first time, made to me a lot of sense at the Jackson Hall uh, conference because for the first time he said, we have to do everything possible to stop inflation. Wow. So what are your expectations for for the number and the the rate of the hikes ahead? (laughs) So, you know, we had this conversation in January Mm -hmm. and at the time, at the time, the market, I think it was pricing three or four uh, rate increases. And, you know, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, you just don't kill inflation of 7% with raising interest rates to 2 or 3%. So to me, inflation has to go below the interest rates. Oh, let me put it differently. Interest rates have to go up to be above the inflation rate for the inflation rate to start going down. Because right now, with this inflation rate that we observe in Europe and in the US, 9% plus in the UK, it's much more valuable or much more profitable for people to go out and buy things because tomorrow they'll be more expensive. And when they do this, if you save your money, your return next year will be so low and price will be so high that actually you'll your purchasing power will go down. But if you buy things today, you will actually be having the the goods at a lower price than next year. Now, when people start doing this, that actually fuels inflation because they buy more stuff. So we we have to actually 
cut down demand. That's the only way to stop inflation. So I remember at the start of the year, while most people were thinking three hikes, you mentioned five to seven. You still on track with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So interest rates, today inflation, it depends what measure you use, right? So they're core inflation, they're all kinds of different inflation rates. But whatever you want to use, every single uh, model out there that deals with what, how to set monetary policy and how to set interest rates, basically will say that infl- interest rates have to be 5%, between 5 and 10%. So I, I'm just talking about 5% because that's not as scary as 10%. But there are models that say, you know, without 10%, the interest rates will not be able to, to stop inflation. And I think that with these things in mind, you can expect more hikes. And I, I think that in January, I mentioned that the first month when things will reveal themselves as being permanent or transitory will be April. Because again, April 2021 was the first month when inflation jumped. And therefore, we already had a higher price level. So April 2022, we're comparing price level in 2022 to already high price level. Before that, we could use as an excuse, well, you know, during the pandemic, prices were low. So that's just correction towards normality. And now we know it's not correction towards normality. I think that central banks in many developed economies uh, have just missed the signals. All right. So what are the possible consequences, do you think, of being on the path that we are on now for markets? Well, uh, we know that when interest rates uh, increase, especially when you know, there is a sharp increase in interest rates, uh, the stock market usually you know, reacts by <laughs> declining. Uh, so I would expect more of this to happen. I don't think that the market has priced all the increases that we can see out there. Again, historically, if you look back since the 1960s and you try to see how does inflation go down, at no point in time, inflation of this magnitude has gone down by itself, which now is being called the immaculate disinflation. It has not gone down by itself without interest rates increasing above the inflation rate. So when interest rates are in the range of 2 to 3% and they jump to 6%, I think that actually the markets will have to go through further correction, especially as we discussed last time as well. The, the, the stocks that are promising um, dividends way uh, into the future. And therefore, you know, the rate at which you discount these future dividends matters much more. One clear example of what interest rates are doing to the market can be seen in, in currency markets, which are being upended. So the U.S. dollar trading at its strongest rate in decades vis-a-vis other major currencies, as well as those of emerging Markets. So what do you think are the possible consequences of a strong dollar on markets? Well, this in general was to be expected. I mean, currency rates are very difficult to predict, so I don't want to go into this uh, discussion. But at the same time, we know that when interest rates increase, um, the currency tends to appreciate very fast and or actually to overshoot what its value should be. So the U.S. dollar in my view, if you know we have more surprise increases, we'll continue appreciating and we'll start going in the opposite direction the moment that we know that these interest rates increases have stopped. 
because when the U.S. interest rates are above the world interest rate or the other countries' interest rates, then the currency must depreciate. Otherwise, there is a free lunch out there. So what does it do, this high level of the U.S. dollar? It creates inflation for other countries because a lot of the energy energy fuel is priced in U.S. dollars. So all of a sudden now you have to buy in your local currency because the dollar is expensive in your local currency, energy becomes more expensive just because of that as well. That will be, you know, it will help for trade a little bit because now the local goods are cheaper, but it takes some time for these effects to take place. But um, goods that are priced in U.S. dollars obviously will become more expensive and will feed further into the inflationary spiral. Do you see any potential differences in terms of what the stronger U.S. dollar will mean for companies in Asia versus companies in Europe? So in Asia, again, the the value of the currency is determined to a large extent by what central banks do. And here the central banks do different things. So it's difficult to talk about Asia in general because we know that the Singapore Central Bank, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, uh, is using the exchange rate in order to control inflation and to control the economy. And therefore, here we might see uh, less of depreciation of the Singapore dollar, or I would say even appreciation at some point of the Singapore dollar vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar. And that will cause, obviously, some problems for the exporters. It will also make Singapore more expensive compared to other places for companies to locate their production. So that's definitely an issue that needs to be thought out very carefully. But the alternative, if they don't do this, the alternative will be inflation, which again will spread across the economy. In uh, other Asian countries, again, there is the disruption that is coming from higher fuel prices because they're priced in U.S. dollars and, uh, and other, other goods. And is a surging U.S. dollar sort of a mixed blessing for the U.S. itself? It is a mixed blessing. It's always, we know that when the U.S. dollar, when, when the currency appreciates too much, the, the exporting companies uh, will see it more difficult to export. But again, these things usually take time. You know, it's not, um, it, you know, it's not an automatic response that you will see right away that exports are declining. It will take a few months, probably even more than a year, for this thing to happen. So it is, uh, it is a mixed blessing always, and especially when the currency deviates too much from what we know or what we think should be its balanced rate or equilibrium uh, value. So it's, uh, and now I think that it is too high. And the longer and the higher the U.S. dollar moves up and soars above the rest, does it mean heightened debt problems for the developing world? Uh, In fact, this is one of the biggest concerns that we should be having for the global economy. We know that the moment the U.S. uh, central bank starts raising interest rates and the currency appreciates, then we see somewhere around the world, we see a crisis. You know, in the 1980s, when Paul Volcker raised interest rates, uh, you know, shortly after that, we had a Latin American debt crisis in the 1990s when Alan Greenspan raised interest rates. We had the Mexican peso crisis and so on. So today, we have to look at the countries that are exposed to, um, to high interest rates and to U.S. dollar that have 
dollar-denominated debt, and these countries will have trouble. And I think that we see some of these countries already having trouble. So. I was reading an interesting report from Saxo Markets and it was looking at markets in general. They've published a report, Q2 2022, it's publicly available, listeners, saying that we are witnessing nothing less than the arrival of the end game for the paradigm that has shaped markets since the advent of the crisis back in 1998. And this harkens back to quantitative easing, you know, the birth of it, some say. So it sees as a possible outcome of the path that we're on, increased spending on energy clearly and defense priorities, but also supply chain diversification to remove these single points of failure for strategic industries. So I want to get your overviews on this thought that, you know, the global economy is set for major productivity boosts and therefore what we are seeing is really the advent of the end game for markets. Do you agree with that overview? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what that there was a big year after the LTCM crisis that was uh, separate from the general trends that we have observed in the past. So I think that in the report, uh, I think they were mentioning that the negative real interest rate will disappear and you will see positive real interest rates. Uh, And I guess the idea is that because of the higher investment and productivity and all these things, Mm -hmm. the real interest rate will will go up. But, uh, you know, uh, it's actually quite interesting that if you look in the grand scheme of things and, you know, they look at, uh, what is it, 25 years of data, but if you look at 800 years of data, the story is a little bit different. Since the, 14th, since the 15th century, the real interest rate, which just to remind your listeners, is the nominal rate that you see in the bank minus inflation, the real interest rate has been going down century by century. And, uh, you know, it used to be something like 6 7%, went down to 5 went down to 4 In the 20th century, it was 2%. In fact, when I was studying economics, we assumed that the real interest rate, the, the nominal rate minus inflation, is supposed to be 2%. That's, that was the, you know, the basic what we're putting this in models. But then if you look at the trend, you see that in the last years, it has become very close to zero. So um, I'm not sure that we have a really a good understanding of this. You know, we can talk about the growth of the world economy. But when people become wealthier, they save more. If there's more saving, there are more funds out there, and therefore the interest rate goes down because there's more supply of funds. So I, I still think that it is difficult to say that an era has ended. When I look at the trend that has been going on for you know, 800 years, I think that we might be actually seeing the continuation of this near zero, maybe not zero, but near zero interest rates of, uh, you know, the real interest rate. And this is driven by the by the high increase in savings rates, or savings, I should say, around the world, with the growth of China, with the growth of other emerging economies. So I don't know. I, I really think that it might be a little bit too early to say that you know we're going back into the high positive uh, real rates. All right. We have to leave it there because we're out of time. We always appreciate your insights, Ilian. Thank you for being with us. Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEAD there. Thanks again. 
Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.